There is an unseen hand to me that leads Welcome to the Unseen Hand Podcast, featuring the pulpit ministry of missionary evangelist Ronnie Brown. Listen in as Brother Ronnie shares the truth of the Bible and how God's unseen hand can lead and guide your life with each and every verse. This hand still leads me as I go. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the book of Acts, Acts chapter number 13. This makes the 25th and final week in which we have been looking at the but gods of the Bible. I think we started this past fall all the way back in Genesis and through Genesis, through the Psalms, all the way in the New Testament. We have been studying about the but gods. I was reading a message by another pastor who was preaching on the same topic about the but gods of the Bible. And he took that conjunction but and he said, it's always something changing in a statement that uses but. It's a changing from one situation to another. It's a, it's a detour. It's a side road. He said, but when you take but and put God with it, oh, you've got a dynamic duo right there where miracles happen. But God. And here we find ourselves in the final one. I've been saving this one. Amen. We've already preached through the book of Acts, but I held on to this one for Easter Sunday. Acts chapter number 13, and look at verse 26. Let's all stand out of honor and reverence God's holy word. Acts 13, and look at verse 26. Now, what I want to let you know is we're dropping down in the middle of a message. You ever come into a church and the preacher's already preaching, and you kind of got to get your bearings set before you know what's going on. Well, Paul is preaching down at the synagogue to a mixed company of both Jews and Gentiles alike. And he begins to go in on his favorite subject, the Lord Jesus Christ and His death and resurrection. Look at Acts 13, verse 26. Men and brethren and children of the stock of Abraham, and whosoever among you feareth God, to you this word of this salvation sent. For they that dwell at Jerusalem and the rulers, because they knew Him not, nor yet the voices of the prophets, which they read every Sabbath day, they were fulfilled them in condemning Him. Though they found no cause of death in Him, yet desired they Pilate that He should be slain. Look at verse 29. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of Him, they took Him down from the tree and laid Him in a sepulcher. Here's our but God, verse 30. But God raised Him from the dead. Talk about a miracle. Talk about a conjunction right there. And we see in verse 31. And He was seen uh, many days of them which came up from Galilee to Jerusalem who are His witnesses unto the people. And we declare unto you glad tidings how that the promise which was made unto the fathers, God fulfilled the same unto us their children that He hath raised up Jesus again. You can be seated. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And I want to talk to you about, but God raised him from the dead. God interrupts our death. God interrupts our death. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dearly Father, God, we come to you with thankful hearts. Thankful that the Lamb of God is not entombed in some dusty, corrupted grave, but He stands supreme at the right hand of the majesty on high. He is alive and alive forevermore. Now, Father, we may be entertaining those that may be in the room that are of a doubting disposition, that have hearts that are unbelieving, I pray that not through the words of eloquence of some preacher, but by your word, by your spirit, the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ would ring clear and would have its full implication in their heart, meaning that they would receive the truth, they would lay hold of it as their own personally, they would repent of sin and become a follower, a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
God, we just pray that you do your work here today. We pray for those that may be here out of sorts with God. Oh, there was a time when they embraced that truth as their own. They held it dear, but Father, somewhere along the way, it has been laid aside. We pray that today they would take it up again, that they would renew their relationship with you. Father, we pray for your saints. Encourage our heart. Oh, God, I pray the Holy Spirit inside of his believers would do Holy Ghost cartwheels in there this morning. Oh, we're talking about the greatest subject in all of the Bible, the resurrection proof positive that Jesus was the Son of God. I pray that you would encourage our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. Years ago, a German pastor known for his faith was sneered at by a speaker at a Nazi convention in Berlin. The speaker said, Pastor Schultz, he said, uh, uh, he said, Pastor Schultz, uh, 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 said to the speaker, you are a fool, fancy believing in some crucified dead Jew. The courageous pastor jumped to his feet and in resounding tones, he said, yes, sir. He said, I should indeed be a fool if I believed in a crucified dead Jew. But sir, I believe in a living, risen Son of God. I tell you, there is a great difference between a dead, crucified Jew and a living, resurrected Savior. There's a world of difference. The difference can be summed up in basically our focus verse. Look at verse 30. But God raised him from the dead. Here we are laying, like we sung earlier, laying in that tomb, laying dead and dormant, and then all of a sudden, God brings life into His blessed Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, this verse has everything not only to do with Jesus being raised from the dead, it has everything to do with every member, every person in this room under the sound of my voice. You see, you can know for certain that eternal death can be interrupted by laying hold of the three truths in Paul's sermon here in our text. You want to interrupt your eternal death, the consequences of sin, the keys to that are in, these, in this gospel message that Paul preached so long ago. The first thing I want you to see is the great reality of this statement. The great reality of this statement. Now like I said, Paul was preaching in Antioch of Pisidia. And he was preaching down at the synagogue to a mixed congregation. A mixed congregation of proselytes, which means Jew, uh, uh, Gentiles that had come into the way of the Jewish religion. Also, Gentiles as a whole. There were some curiosity uh, onlookers, some folks that had come in that were completely Gentile. And then also Jews, those of the stock of Abraham. You notice in the first verse that I read, he addresses both the children, the stock of Abraham, and whoso among you that feareth God. Oh, listen, here we find Paul, and in this verse we hear him set forth two great realities that characterize all of Paul's preaching. In this one verse, in verse 30, there are two realities that I want you to see. The first reality of this, we see the reality of his execution on a tree. Look at verse 30, but God raised him, notice the words, from the dead. This is the result of verse 27 through 29. What did we read of there? In verse 27, For they that dwell at Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew Him not, nor yet the voices of the prophets which are read every Sabbath day, they, were feel, uh, they, they have fulfilled them in condemning Him. And though they had no cause of death in Him, yet desired they, Pilate, that He should be slain. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulcher. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ, in a brief summary, Paul gives us the account of Jesus of Nazareth's crucifixion. 
through the account of Scripture and other historical texts that testify that Jesus Christ of Nazareth was crucified historically on a tree outside of Jerusalem. You see, for what cause? It was His words. Words that drew hatred from many and hope for a few. But see, Jesus, for His mere words, was condemned to die the torturous death on the cross. Matter of fact, Paul said in verse 27 that, that if they would have just listened to what was being read down at the synagogue, they would have been able to discern this. But according to the will of God, Jesus Christ was crucified. And I'd like to just recount the path that Jesus took on the way to the cross. We saw last Sunday how He was arrested at Gethsemane. We see His mock trial, if you'll trace it through the Gospels, and how that the Jewish Sanhedrin tried to pin a some sin, tried to pin through false accusations, Jesus to be condemned of death. We see Jesus, His scourging at Gabbatha, his, uh, his mockery there at the hands of the Roman soldiers. And then finally, He was taken to Golgotha's brow and nailed to a fashioned cross on a hillside. The end of the spear, as I believe Matthew's account tells us, the spear that was thrust into His side, it yielded forth both blood and water. I heard an old preacher say one time, just like in your car, if oil and water come out of the same hole, you got problems. Amen, right there. Well, the same is true with blood and water. In fact, the historical uh, significance of that is that Jesus was in fact dead. He was dead. Blood and water do not mix in your body, Jesus Christ died from the suffocation on the cross and also the bursting of His heart. Jesus Christ died. He did not swoon. Blood and water don't come out of you when you swoon. Blood and water don't come out of you when you faint. Jesus was in fact historically dead. Notice also the reality of His execution on the tree Paul's bringing forth the reality. This really happened. Don't let it fade to myth. Don't let it fade to folklore. The reality of the historical documentation is that Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Son of God, was crucified. There's been a turmoil lately in the Catholic Church about a, a certain, certain priest that has begun to deny the Holocaust. Have you heard about this? that this priest has, has said that, that the Holocaust just didn't really happen. And I thought that that's so, because that's so uh, uh, humorous in a way because it hasn't been so long ago that the Holocaust happened where all the Jews were killed in the concentration camps. And, and you'd be hard to press any of us in this room today that it never happened. I mean, the bones are there, the, uh, the, the, the ovens are there, all of the things are there. But 10,000 years from now, could it, could it fade into folklore what happened just 60 or to 80 to 90 years ago in our own lifetime? You see how quickly the resurrection goes that way because, because many today would relegate the resurrection of Jesus Christ as folklore, as fiction, when in truth the details are contained in the Scripture and the other documents of historical significance compiled together said that this man physically actually died on the cross. The first reality is the execution on the tree. The second reality is of his exit from the tomb. Notice what we said, but God raised him from the dead. Here we find that not only was he placed in the tomb dead, but he exited the tomb alive. Do you recall the story? How the G, uh, Joseph of Arimathea went to Pilate and begged the body of Jesus and that Joseph of Arimathea provided the spices, nearly uh, 60 pounds of spices to embalm the body of Jesus. He took the windings and him and Nicodemus wrapped the body of the Lord Jesus and he was placed into, uh, into Joseph of Arimathea's uh, tomb. 
a borrowed tomb at that. We, me and Brother Bill was over there listening to that preacher. He preached along the lines of the resurrection. He said, boy, you can't do that these days. <laughs> hey, don't go down to your local cemetery and try to borrow a grave. It just don't happen. But Jesus borrowed a tomb for three days. But there he was entombed. He was placed in that tomb. And you see, also the scriptures indicate that the ladies, you remember the ladies at the cross? Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jesus, another lady was there at the cross. The disciples scattered uh, to the wind for fear of reprisal and only John and these women stayed nearby. The women followed the body. They stayed right with it. They went exactly wherever Joseph of Arimathea took that body. These ladies went with it. These ladies were taken directly to the grave where Jesus was laid. It was not that they were confused when they came back on Monday morning to find the grave empty. No, on Sunday morning. No, we find that they knew exactly where the grave was. It couldn't be lost or, or some, uh, some uh, a truth like that. No, they knew exactly where it was. Also, the Roman detachment was posted at the tomb to protect the Roman seal affixed on the enormous stone outside the tomb. Now, these Roman guards weren't the least bit interested in a man called Jesus, in a so-called Messiah. They weren't interested in that. They had a job to stand in front and protect a Roman seal. That meant their death. If, 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 if intruders, if they were overpowered, if they fell asleep during the night, that meant their death. They stood guard outside of this grave to make sure that nobody tampered with the body of the Lord Jesus. And yet, what do we find? On Easter Sunday morning, we find the, 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 the stone was rolled away. We find an in, uh, incapacitated Roman detachment. We find an empty shell of grave clothes, shocked disciples, a Sanhedrin applying a cover-up, visual sightings by Mary Magdalene, Peter, uh, uh, the two on the Emmaus Road, the apostles without Thomas, the apostles with Thomas, a multitude of 500 on a Galilean mountain, and James, the brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was seen alive. Listen, a vision, you don't go over to it and put your finger into the wounds. Yet the Lord Jesus appeared unto his disciples and said, Thomas, come and touch my wounds. Thomas, take your finger and place it into my side. You see, the disciples uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ, we find them who were once hiding in an upper room, scared of their own shadow, scared that the cross would be theirs next. The next thing we know, we find them preaching boldly on the street, a resurrected, bodily resurrected Savior. You know how an audacious claim that is? A body, I mean, it would have been a lot better if they said he spiritually rose up. Because then you couldn't produce a body. You see, all the Jews had to do was produce one body. If they knew where it was, all they had to do was produce one body and all of this religion, all of this talk, all of this preaching was in vain. It collapsed like a house of cards. But no body was ever produced. You see, the truth be known, these disciples had seen the Lord Jesus and if they were serving a God that could defeat death, what is the meaning of a cross? What is the meaning of whatever a punishment and torture you could afflict on their bodies? They had the power over the grave. You see, it was a reality of His exit from a tomb. He is not here as the angels said. He is risen as He said. Paul is bringing a reality the truth that at one time there was a dead man in that, in that uh, sepulcher and today no bones, no body can be found. He was raised to life. Number two, we see not only in this text a great reality. And if you're going to be made right with God, you've got to latch hold of that. You've got to grab hold of that with both hands as securely as you possibly can. Number two. I want you to see the glorious reason for this statement. The glorious reason for this statement. Now think about it. Why? Why was it necessary? I mean, listen, there have been a lot of religions that have gone, prospered, grown, that have not had 
an empty tomb. One of the most fastest growing religions of our day, Islam. They've got a dead leader in a tomb. Buddha, dead leader in a, in a, in a, a sarcophagus, in some kind of shrine. Why did he have to raise from the dead? Well, Paul gives us some reasons. The first reason I want you to see is for the reason of promise. Look at verse 32. He said, and we declare unto you, glad tidings, listen, how that the promise which was made unto the fathers, God hath fulfilled the same unto us, their children, in that he hath raised up Jesus again. You see, it was the, why he was raised from the dead. It was the fulfillment of a promise. Paul refers to the promises of God. These promises come as early as the dawn of time with Genesis 3.15 where God promised Adam and Eve. He said, I'll put enmity between thy, uh, the seed, uh, thy, uh, thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. The promise from as early as the outside of the garden of Edom, the promise of God is that one would come who would come and, and take a, and crush the work of Satan and sin and destroy its power, but the victor would be bruised temporarily in the conflict. That's what, that's what Genesis 3.15 is talking about. It is pointing directly, bullseye on the mark, to Calvary. He was bruised. He was bruised there at Calvary, but yet he crushed sin at Calvary. In Deuteronomy 18.15, it is promised that the Messiah would be compared to Moses. And oftentimes, you'll find uh, that Jesus is referred to, is he Moses? Are you Moses? Are you that prophet? Are you uh, the prophet of God? Here we find that Jesus was compared to, and Jesus has brought deliverance unto his people. Christ was fulfilled. Uh, Christ fulfilled the promise of Isaiah uh, to the, uh, about the Messiah who would be the fulfillment uh, of the, the, the Messiah's promise where, where Isaiah said he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. He goes on to say, and all we like sheep have gone astray and have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. I'm talking about a promise Messiah, God gave His Word that He would send one to break the works of Satan, to crush sin and its works of darkness. And we find that fulfilled in the Lord Jesus. And even in our text, look at what in the latter part of verse 33, as it is written in the second Psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. You see, it was the fulfillment of that, of that promise to the, the, the prophet David. David, the prophet David, in which he said, he told him that I will send my son. Now, now, now David wasn't referring to himself as the son of God. In no way could he be reckoned as the Son of God. But here we find God begotten His only Son on this earth. You see, we find uh, the, the truth that God, the Word was made flesh to dwell among us and the glory was that of the only begotten, full of grace and truth. Jesus' death and resurrection was the fulfillment of the promise of God. And that promise is given unto you today as well. The promise of a Messiah. Then second of all, not only the, for the reason of promise, but the reason of proof. This statement is not only fulfilled of the promise, it is the proof of the promise. Paul argue, Paul's argument is sustained by the writings of the prophet David. You didn't know David was a prophet, did you? Did you know David was a prophet? He was not only a king, but he was a prophet. If you read Psalm 22 you'd think you were standing right at the foot of the cross and it was written hundreds of years before crucifixion had ever been invented. You see, through the eye of prophecy, David gave us a clear view of the crucifixion of Jesus. Here, Paul gives us Psalm 16, 10. Look at verse 38, I mean 30, uh, 35. In this psalm he saith, uh, wherefore he saith also in another psalm, Thou shalt not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Now the question is, who's David talking about? Is he talking about himself? 
Or is he talking about one to come? Well, we know obviously Paul goes on to say in verse 36, For David, after he had served his own generation, by the will of God, fell on sleep, and was laid into his fathers, and saw corruption. Paul said, all you Jews know where David's buried. You know his bones are still in there. You know his body rotted and turned to the dust of the earth. This is a messianic prophecy. This is the proof that Jesus is the Messiah. Why? Because he got up out of the grave. It was God's stamp of approval. Despite all of the miracles, despite all of the truth, despite all of the suffering and the degradation of the cross, the stamp of God's approval on the sacrifice of Jesus was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, we find this is the proof. David is, not in, David is in the grave corrupted, but Jesus saw no corruption. Matter of fact, 37, but he, meaning Jesus, whom God raised again, saw no corruption. No other than an all-powerful, all-knowing God could make such an audacious claim and have the power to fulfill it. Brother Kevin was asking me on the way into the church about how many times that Jesus told his disciples that he'd be killed and raised from the dead. And what I can recollect of our study in the, in the gospel of Mark and the parallel accounts seem to back it up that three separate occasions he told his disciples, I'll be, I'll be killed and raised from the dead and raised from the dead and raised from the dead he is the only man that can make the audacious claim to say I will die but I will rise again and cause it to come to pass you see the claim and the, 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 the re glorious reason for this statement is for, for the reason of, of promise and the reason of proof it's proof positive that Jesus was raised from the grave. Third point. Not only do we see the great reality of this statement. Jesus died. Jesus rose. And not only do we see the glorious reason for this statement. Because of the promise God made. Because of the proof that he set forth. That Jesus was Messiah. The Son of God come to save sinful men. Third of all. We see the gospel results of this statement. The gospel results of this statement. Warren Wiersbe said this. He said the resurrection is an essential part of the gospel message. Paul said, he summed it up in 1 Corinthians 15. He said, I delivered unto you that which I received, how that Christ was died, was buried, and resurrected on the third day according to the scriptures. That is the gospel, the good news the truth of Jesus Christ. You see, there would be no good news to tell if the body of Jesus Christ remained in the tomb. You realize if there was still a body, no matter what kind of miracles that he wrought, no matter what kind of great sayings and great teachings that he brought, if he were still in a grave, then there would be no victory. We couldn't sing victory in Jesus like we did before Sunday school this morning. There'd be no victory. There'd only be death. There'd only be the certainty of eternal separation from a holy God, from a sinful people. You see, but the gospel results is there's a good news. There's a good news. There's a message to be brought. You see, first of all, we see in this gospel results a resulting way of forgiveness. Look at verse 38. He's coming down to invitation time. Amen. Just like we are. Heading to that invitation. We're fixing to go headlong in invitation. Look what Paul said. He said, be it known unto you, Gentile, Greek, uh, proselyte, all of you, be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And by him all that believe are justified from all things which ye could not be justified by the law of Moses. Notice how Paul starts out in verse 26. Look at verse 26. It was the first thing we read. He noticed that in verse 26, he said, This is the word of salvation that's sent. Now look at verse 32. We declare unto you good tidings. And it gets right down to why? Why is this good tidings? Well, verse 38, Through this man we have the forgiveness of sin. A pardon. 
A pardon. A debt that is paid in full. A pardon is granted for the transgressions of the law. Look at verse 39. By him, uh, by him all that believe are justified. Justified. Justification is a judicial ruling that indicates that a person is cleared of all charges. You see, it's not just as if I'd never sinned. It is cleared of all guilt. It means, what sins are you talking about? They're done away with for good. The debt has been cleared. You see, the law could not do this. Matter of fact, Romans 3, uh, 19 and 20. Now listen very closely. Now we know that whatsoever the law saith, it saith unto them that are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world become guilty before God. What is the law? What is the, the, the point? What is the, the work of the law of God? To shut your mouth. To close our mouths and become guilty before the holiness of God. Then he goes on to say in verse 20, Therefore by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law comes the knowledge of sin. Paul goes on to say, if the, if the Ten Commandments didn't say, Thou shalt not covet, I wouldn't know that it was wrong before God to covet. You see, the law points out our sin. You can't be cleansed by the law. You can't be made right and justified before God by the works and the deeds of the law or by doing good deeds or by buying, uh, buying little old ladies uh, 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 little carts that they can ride away with or building great hospitals or giving lots of money. Those works will not justify a man before Almighty God. It is only, you see, it's like the old preacher said, have you ever heard Lester Roloff talk about Dr. Law and Dr. Grace? Two doctors that were pretty close to each other. Their, their, uh, their practices were right across the street from one another. And a man comes in with all his sin and all his problems and he goes, he knows something's wrong and he goes down and sits in the, law of, uh, in the office of Dr. Law. Dr. Law takes a good look at him. He points out the problem. He said, oh, I see the signs. Look at the signs of covetousness on your face. Look at your hands. Uh, uh, they're full uh, of the wickedness of adultery. Look at your steps. Uh, they walk in the ways of liars and covetousness and the blasphemy. Look at your tongue. It's filled with blasphemies. Oh, you've got a problem. And you go to Dr. Law and say, how can I fix this? And Dr. Law says, well, I can't help you. I can't, I can't produce a cure. There's nothing that Dr. Law can prescribe to you to make you right before God. But what he will do is give you a referral. Across the street, there's Dr. Grace. And I tell you what, a lot of folks have been having some good cases turn over there with Dr. Grace. And so you walk over to Dr. Grace and you take, this is what Dr. Law showed me. I'm a sinner. I'm guilty before God. And Dr. Grace points you to an old rugged cross where Jesus Christ paid the penalty of your sin and produced the antidote of your, of your condition. And latching a hold of that, you can be made right. You can be forgiven of sins and certain judgment to come. The miraculous work has been done. You see, the, the Dr. Grace and Dr. Dr. Law can't do anything for you, but Dr. Grace can. Romans 8, 3, for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. And now our response is to lay hold of the cure. Oh, the, listen, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the antidote, I've seen it sit before people for years at a time and they never reach up and lay hold on it. It's just not enough to have the gospel presented to you and that'll do you for another year until Easter Sunday comes back next year. You must lay hold of it for yourself. You must reach out and through repentance and to, toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ, you must have it for your own. I know what many of you are thinking. Well, I did that, Brother Ronnie, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, decades ago, a lifetime ago. I did that. I've done that, Brother Ronnie. My question is not did you do did not that you did that, but do you do that? Because Jesus came preaching a gospel of the present, not the past. 
His disciples were not just to simply uh, give him a tip of the hat as he came by and invited them to follow him. They were to forsake all and follow him. You see, the truth is, is that there must be, you know this word here, look at verse, uh, look at verse 39. And by him all that, look at that word, believe. Believe. Do you realize the word believe is two small words squished together to make a big word? Believe. Believe comes from the two words by live. By live. And they're squished together to make believe. You know what by live or live by means? That means if you believe something, if you honestly believe something and receive it as the truth, it'll affect the way you live. You'll live by it. For example, if they, if they come on the weather announcers and they said we're going to have a foot of snow by tonight and, and, uh, and, and it's just going to come and we're all going to be in deadlock, you're going to be locked in your homes. If I really believed that, what would I do? I'd go to the store and buy up all the milk and bread I could find. Amen. That's what people do when it snows, right? You buy up all the bread. My, the belief in that truth indicates a certain action in my life. Don't sit here and tell me that you have believed and you don't buy live. Jesus, uh, Jesus said uh, in, in John 14, 21, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, it is he that loveth me. John 14, 24 said, He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings. Don't tell me you did that in the past. Tell me you do that today. To believe the Lord Jesus Christ is raised from the dead is to surrender all to Him. Not stand over your life which He bought with His blood and say, Man, that's not salvation. It's all to Him I surrender. We see, first of all, in these gospel results, a resulting way of forgiveness. If you're here today and the burden of sin and adultery and thieving and lying and blasphemy and disobedience to parents and covetousness and all these weight of sin bears upon your shoulder, I'm here today with good news, glad tidings. You can be forgiven of sin. You can be justified if you will but cleave to, lay hold on the gospel truth that Paul is preaching here. Notice, second of all, not only a resulting way of forgiveness, but a resulting warning of foregoing. Warning of foregoing. Look right on the heels of what Paul is saying. Boy, he brought him some good news, didn't he? But look at what he said in verse 40. Beware therefore, lest that come upon you which is spoken in the prophets. Behold, ye despisers and wonder and perish. For I, for I work a work in your days, a work which shall, which shall in no wise, which, which shall in no wise believe, though ye a man declare it unto you. Paul's giving a warning. Right on the heels of good news. I mean, hey man, hey man, sign them up. Break the cards out. Let's get them all in. But Paul gives a stern warning on the heels of the gospel. You see, the gospel is a two-edged sword. The word gospel means good news. It indicates, and just by its very nature of its wording, it indicates if there's good news, then there has to be bad news. Listen, in the sweet honey of heaven, in the Word of God, that gospel in one verse, John 3, 16, you will find the Word perish. With the good news, there is bad news. You see, the gospel is, is not simply an invitation. It's an ultimatum. I'm not coming up to you patting you on the back saying, I'll tell you what. Jesus, Jesus will look good on you. I'll tell you what. Jesus, boy, a Bible in your hand and a Sunday towel. I'm telling you what, you'd look good. Jesus would adorn your life. No, I am coming to you as a general in the army of God to say, surrender, put down your weapons and submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not an invitation. It's an ultimatum. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a call for complete and utter surrender to God. Paul is quoting the Old Testament prophet Habakkuk. 
a miraculous work has been done in their day and they would not believe. We are in the same day as the Apostle Paul. A miraculous work was done some 2,000 years ago. What are you going to do with it? Will you forsake it and lay it aside and forego the proof that is seen in the Word of God. The truth of the resurrection miracle is set before you. Will you refuse? If so, you need to understand that the resurrection, resurrected Lord that is a comfort and a joy to the believer. I'm telling you what, I've seen a lot of smiles this morning. And when we talk about the resurrection of Jesus and we talk about what God has done, in, oh, listen, I can see the smiles creep up on many of your faces that, yes, that is my consolation. Yes, that is my great hope. The same resurrected Lord that is a hope to the believer will be judge and executioner to the unbeliever. Acts 17, 30 and 31, And at the times of ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Why? Because he hath appointed a day in which he'll judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance to all men, and that he raised him from the dead. Do you realize the resurrection of Jesus Christ means deliverance for the child of God, means the doom of those that reject the way of disciple? Doom! The resurrection of Jesus Christ indicates to the lost sinner your days are numbered. This is a warning. Paul is warning this group there. Don't disregard, don't forego the truth, the good news that you're given to this day. In conclusion, you know, Paul preached this message like I said. He preached it to a divided audience. There were Jews and there were Gentiles. I'm not saying you're a Jew, I'm not saying you're a Gentile. It'll be this way. Jew and Gentile. They were a divided group. After the message of the gospel, do you realize they still went out a divided group? Not Jew and Gentile, but lost and saved. If you'll read further in this account, we find that after the, that he had preached, the Gentiles, in verse 42, sought that the words might be preached the next Sabbath. And now the congregation was broken up. And many Jews and religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to come into the grace of God. <laughs> Jews and Gentiles, bond and free, they were all admonished to come and lay hold of the salvation that is in Christ Jesus. But the Jews walked away. The Jews saw the multitudes and were filled with envy, verse 45, and spake against those things which they spoke by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. You see, you may have walked in here today a very divided group. This family, that family, these persons, that persons, these friends, those friends. But you'll walk out of here assuredly divided two ways. Lost and saved. Perishing and delivered. There's only, that's only two ways you'll walk out of this place. Perishing and delivered. When they left, they were divided as saved and lost. Yielded to the gospel call, resenting the gospel call. How will you leave today? Some of you may resent some of the things I've said. Some of the strenuous nature of what it means to be a child of God. It is not a case of lasciviousness. You cannot claim the claims of Jesus Christ and live a self-filled, lascivious lifestyle. You must come under the submission of the Lord Jesus Christ, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and walk in love. That's the truth of the gospel. But will you adhere? You may resent what's being said, just like these Jews. Resented what was it? Don't you tell me how to live my life. Nobody's going to preach to me. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. That's fine. But you're warned. You're warned. You'll face a judge in the day of judgment. And you'll have no recompense. You'll have no argument. You'll have no leg to stand on. But March the 20th, 1994, you're looking at one old boy that on the, on the I-75 somewhere right outside of Barrett Parkway. As a hell-bound college student, I put my trust in Jesus Christ going 65 miles an hour. That's the fastest salvation you've ever seen in your life. God saved me and changed my, my life that day. I've been forgiven, justified of all sins. Have I been perfect? No. But I'm not going that way. I'm going that way. 
Two different directions. What way are you going? What way will you leave here today? You know, Jesus Christ here, we said, but God raised Him from the dead. And I subtitled this, God interrupts our death. And you may say, well, no, 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 no. He interrupted Jesus' death. But see, you don't get it. Because He interrupted Jesus' death, He can interrupt your death. We laid one of our beloved men in the grave this past week, Brother Jake Walls. And he was a deacon here, and he was a, he was a godly man. You see, Jake Walls is in a temporary holding place. His body, the corrupted body, is in a tomb that one day, just like Jesus' body was reanimated, was made alive, so shall Jake Walls. So shall Mary Taylor. So shall Lottie Green, my grandmother. So, uh, so shall Carrie's grandmother and grandfather. One day their bodies will be reanimated and just like Jesus came from the tomb, they will come to from the tomb as well to meet the Lord in the air. Although some one day will be called out of a resurrection, the general resurrection to face the white throne judgment in which they'll stand before Almighty God and give account of their lives and Jesus Christ will be their judge. And the name and the one that they shook their fist at, they spent upon the salvation that He had afforded them in His blood on Calvary's cross. And they shunned and, uh, and, and, and spurred the resurrection of the empty tomb. One day they'll stand before Him and give an account. And He'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. Well, I did mighty, mighty works. I went to church for a while. Boy, I was a blazer. I, did, I was hot, red hot for a while. Truth be known, Jesus may say to you, depart from me, I never knew you. These are the gospel realities, the gospel truths that we have before us today. Let's all stand as Brother Tony comes and Miss Mary for a song of invitation. You've listened so patiently and I, I appreciate that. And we're coming down to the last moment. Every head bowed and every eye closed. As I said in my message, this is not an invitation. This is an ultimatum. This is maybe the last altar call. You don't know what will happen tomorrow. You don't know what will happen weeks down the road. Brother Jake Walls was supposed to be with us today. He hadn't been able to be in this church for a long while. And his family was going to try to bring him. He's going to be sitting in these pews today. But he was, he's not here. The pitcher, 22-year-old for, the, uh, for the, uh, uh, the, the A's, Anaheim A's or California Angels or whoever, 22 years old, through a great game one night and in that night was dead car accident took him out of this world he was on top of the world you don't know what tomorrow holds today's the day of salvation Paul gave that gospel truth to these men and left and went on to preach somewhere else some believe he entrusted them to the Holy Ghost to grow them to nourish them in their faith but what of you will you leave here today outside of God's will, outside of God's gospel, under the, under the sure judgment of God, or will you relent and come? Will you put your trust in the Lord Jesus? Let's start at the first place. How many of you would say, Brother Ronnie, I'm a sinner, I have broken God's law, and I'm guilty before Him, and I know not that, my Lord, that Jesus Christ is my Savior. Would you have the honesty in your own heart Knowing what we've gone over in this message, have the honesty of your own heart by saying, Brother Ronnie, pray for me. I'm lost. I don't know the Lord. Would you lift your hand? Let me pray for you. you got to start somewhere. At least let us start somewhere. It's hard, one of the hardest things to do with church people is to get them lost. To get them lost. If you do not walk the way of a disciple, you're not one. You have no confidence in an audience with the Heavenly Father if you walk contrary to His way. Would there be one say, Brother Ronnie, I'm lost. Pray for me. Honest to God in your heart. Not a single hand in the room. I'm awestruck. I'm awestruck. Maybe you're embarrassed to raise your hand. But listen, the truth is still the same. You must repent and believe the gospel. The ultimatum is just the same. Whether you raise a hand or not, you must put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you today would say, Brother Ronnie, 
I confidently hold to the truths that you preach today. I believe in a Christ that was died on that cross for my stead and raised for my justification. Brother Ronnie, I raise my hand as testimony. I know the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you could confidently raise that hand? God bless you. Praise the Lord. You can put them down. Still a mixed audience. The gospel's been laid before your ears. You'll be responsible for that. I want to give you a chance to come at this altar. I'll take my Bible, do the best I can to show you the way of salvation, the truth in knowing that you have eternal life in Jesus Christ, that you'll be forgiven of all sins, that you'll be justified, cleansed of all wrongdoing, and to walk accordingly to His commands. Will you come today? Come down this altar. I'll meet you in Bible and pray with you. And Whatever I can do for you, I'll do my best to try to lead you to the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I've done my best to present the truth of the resurrection. That's what we're celebrating here today, Lord. The truth of how you bodily, physically, materially rose from the grave. The greatest miracle in all the history. A man that could prophesy his own death and his own resurrection and have the power to make it come to pass. God, you know the hands and the situations that are in this room. We pray to God that you would move and work in hearts. We pray that you would do a restoring work. We pray that you would do a resurrecting, Lord, that you would raise lost, dead sinners from their deadened state by virtue of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That antidote is made available. Will they not repent and reach out and take it, Father? Oh, God, I pray that the stronghold of sin, the grip of sin would be loosened, Father. Oh, God, I pray that they'd come in faith. And that's what I did, Lord. I come to you. I didn't know how in the world you was going to save me. I didn't know how you was going to change my wants, my desires, my sinful lust. For, oh, God, I pray that you'd put installing them that same faith to trust you, that you'll cleanse their lives. God, I pray that you'd move and work as we sing this invitation song. Yes, it's in Jesus' precious name. I'm trusting to the unseen hand. We hope and pray that today's episode of the Unseen Hand podcast has been a help and blessing to you. For more information such as other podcasts, ministry helps, blog posts, previous sermons, or how to contact Brother Brown directly, just go to RonnieBrown.net. Join us next time for another message from Brother Ronnie on the Unseen Hand podcast. Until then, may God's unseen hand gently guide you on your journey home. The Unseen Hand.